Good evening, everybody. Thank you for joining us on another episode of Liberty Station. We have a wonderful guest, as we do every single night. Uh, this man in particular has been a great blessing to me. I had the privilege of being on his show, and uh, it, it was it was delightful. Um, he is one of these folks that silently waits in the back and then comes out with uh, this concise question that just took the entire podcast uh, to a direction where it was just a mic drop. Uh, he's he's observant, and his ability, Bryce, to lay out kind of what we're facing as a country, I, I haven't met anyone who's been able to do it so concisely as our guest tonight. Would you tell everybody who it is? Yeah, so it's uh, Dr. Mark McDonald. He's a psychiatrist and uh, one of the smarter guys I've ever talked to yeah. with respect to kind of what's happening now. He gives me stretch marks on my brain. Uh, absolutely. He wrote the book uh, United States of Fear. He's got another book that's coming out that uh, we'll have him talk to. And I've got a couple of uh, my own questions that I've been mulling around in my head for him. But uh, let's uh, let's Let's get him on. So what we'll do is hold your questions. We're yeah. going to let him run because we try not to be 100%. the guest on our own show. Mark, welcome to Liberty Station. And uh, I, I talking before we we went live on the air, uh, you 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 laid out this scenario of what we're facing as a nation that we're kind of being lulled to sleep in some capacity. And and these are things that are concerning to you. We almost have this diversionary aspect with the Ukraine and all those things. And folks think that this medical malaise, uh, this this struggle that we've been going through, this hell, it's been the these last two years have been the longest decade of my life. Uh, they 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 think that this is behind them now. And you're very observant, realizing no, uh, you're just being lulled to sleep over diversions. Would you elaborate? Take it. Let everyone know because nobody, nobody, and and th- now we've had amazing guests. They all have great insights. Nobody that I know of has been more concise to be able to lay out the entire roadmap of what we're dealing with. You have a unique gift to do that. So grateful for the way that you've allowed me to see the horizon and understand and comprehend it to make preparations so that we can combat this. Um, I'm grateful for you and I want everyone to get to know you. So I'm backing away and, and I, I don't want you to sit in the wings and wait. You're, you're kind of quiet that way. We're, we're not going to talk anymore until Bryce asks questions at the end. Run with it. Welcome, Mark. God bless you, brother. <clears throat> Thank you, Rob. Bryce, I'm really glad to be on your show. I've been traveling and touring uh, extensively and I have many more coming up trips across the country and even over to Europe in the next four to six weeks to try to spread uh, uh, an important message, I think, uh, which I'll just briefly summarize visually by pointing out this example, which I think is familiar to everyone. Sometime in the last year and a half or so, everyone in the United States began to notice, consciously or not, especially looking back on it now, it's pretty obvious, that all the profile photos switched over to faces with masks on them, right? We all know that. I I thought it was bizarre. Many people just took it for granted. This is what we do. We show that we're in support of the cause by putting a mask over our face. Well, guess what happened about, I think we're looking at six or seven weeks ago. Within one day to the next, all of those profile photos with the masks, they all switched over to profile photos with little Ukrainian flags on the lapel. Remember that? Now, a lot of people might not have noticed that until I pointed out. I noticed it right away. And I thought, this is... This is really odd. Why is it that Americans who were so scared, so convinced that the only way that they could be good people, be moral people, be good citizens, was to show their virtue 
by putting up a uh, mask photograph or a real mask over their photograph on their profile pages, now suddenly have all decided to turn their, their, their virtue and their uh, moral ethics over to supporting a war in Ukraine. It might seem like a small thing. You know, a lot of people might say, well, look, this is just what people do on social media. Things change all of the time. I don't think so. I think this is really significant because it represents a psychological shift in our country away from expressing ourselves as individuals and joining a hive mentality, a herd, which is being led not by ourselves, our families, our church, even our local governments and schools and civic organizations. It's being led by another force. And I would say the force, it might be elusive, difficult to see, but it's definitely palpable. It's somewhere centralized in Washington, D.C. and surrounded by and supported by corporations and media. There's a face to this. The face might be Joe Biden, it might be Kamala Harris, it might be uh, Amazon, it might be Walgreens, it might be MSNBC. But there is something behind this which is driving largely, in my view, a incredibly powerful dictator-like Soviet-style intrusion into our country. It's an intrusion that's going way beyond just politics. It's actually entering into our um, very intimate social arenas, like our social media. And people are following without even asking the question of what does it really mean to be supportive of Ukraine? Does it mean that we must support $7 gas? Apparently so. Does it mean that we must stifle all dissent, all questions, particularly when it comes to questioning the motivations for the war footing that is moving towards uh, all out international conflict, perhaps nuclear, uh, between two countries that, that we really don't have much to do with. I'm mentioning this not to get off in the weeds of, of you know, politics and international intrigue, but to say that from a psychological point of view, we have been groomed now for, I think, decades, but certainly in the last two years, groomed to respond to a crisis that is driven by fear. And when we're groomed to respond to crisis driven by fear, we stop thinking, we stop making decisions, we stop criticizing. And what we do is we follow a dictate that is generally not in our best interests, certainly not in our national interest and very rarely in our own personal interests. Mark, if I might, uh, we, we've done a couple of programs uh, in relation to this exact topic with Victor Davis Hanson. Uh, we, we've had, we, we've had a, in, in Kiev, we've had Ali Medina come and share what he's witnessing on the ground. He had just been bombed. Um, and, and the idea is Zelensky's not a hero. Putin's not a hero. Biden's not a hero. They're all nefarious in some capacity. The people we're concerned with are the citizens of both the Ukraine and Russia, uh, the American people as well, that here you have a nation that is the hotbed for Antifa training for Europe. Uh, this is where they do money laundering. We've got bioweapons uh, manufacturing facilities there supported by the NIH. Uh, you, you've got, you know, Burisma, Hunter Biden, yeah. all of these corruption. Things. Yeah, there's, it's just inundated with corruption. You've got NGOs there that aren't in the thick of the fight that are making fortune on on the narrative. And for some reason, uh, our, our, our government is telling us that we're to side with the Ukrainian government, not necessarily just the people. We're siding with the people. 
But they're saying that this government, and granted, their sovereign border's been invaded, but we've also got reports that they're 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 killing their own people. So that this is this is all confusing. And why now are we concerned with their border and we're concerned with weaponizing their people when our border's wide open? We're we're funding the war, as Victor Davis Hansen said, by purchasing oil uh from Russia, which which is Anything over $100 a barrel, Putin is printing money. And instead of opening up the Keystone Pipeline and the Permian sh- uh, Shelf and all these other things where we can, you know, it, it's part of this World Economic Forum to make the United States no longer the superpower. All of this is in play. So for you to take this and define it as a distraction for something that they've already been doing to us to condition us, that's that's what I love about you. You have this ability to just lay out the scenario so clearly run with it. But I, I just want to say we're in full agreement with what you have put forward. Well, you don't have to be uh, fluent in multiple <laughs> languages, understand international politics, uh, be familiar with uh, the puts and calls on the commodities market to see what's really going on. In fact, I don't even think people should be trying to pursue that. I think it's a distraction. I think what they should be pursuing is trying to cut through this and see as average Americans what the fundamental war is all about. And I don't mean the war in Ukraine. I don't mean I don't mean the, the medical misinformation war. I mean the war for our our individual mind Liberty. and body. Yeah. That's what I, the I war call it is a about. war against and sovereignty. It and is I, really and I it's mean a it, war between yeah. independence and dependency. That really is yep. the core war that we're fighting. And these are battles within that larger war. So I tell people, if you're confused about what's going on, if you don't know who to believe, if you're not sure what's right and wrong, just ask yourself this question. What am I being asked to do right now by the government, by the media, by the corporations? And if the answer to that question is something that is making me more dependent and less independent, it's probably a bad thing and you probably should refuse it and you probably should fight it. That's as simple as it gets. Good word. It's a great way to boil it down. Yeah, that's what yeah. he does. Yeah, I love. He that. makes the complex simple, so we can, you know, you put the cookies on the bottom shelf, so we can all reach it. <laughs> well, think about think about uh, the question of uh, you know complex rise and fall in oil and buying and selling and imports and trades in Saudi Arabia versus uh, natural drilling versus fracking versus Venezuela, Russia, etc. It's dumb enough to make your head spin. But if you boil yeah. it down to this question, does paying seven or eight dollars a gallon for gas make me more or less independent. What's exactly. the next step after that? The next step, and I know this because I listen to the news and I hear Poot Buttigieg saying, transportation secretary, that the next step for high gas prices is to encourage, I love that word encourage, and yeah. you're encouraged to wear a mask. Well, you're now encouraged to use public transportation by electric cars and use solar panels and reduce your consumption of fossil fuels. If we do that, if we actually do all those things, we're going to be stuck in an apartment building, not yep. in a house, driving a clean fuel bus or rail system, not a car, and only when they say that we can drive, or not drive, but ride, and actually be reliant upon wind and solar, which is completely uh, unreliable for energy sources. And so the end of all of that is dependency on the state to tell us when, where, and how we're gonna physically move. We can't actually move beyond the rail and the bus lines, unless the government allows us to, because we won't have cars anymore. We won't have gasoline. 
We want people to turn our lights on or off or walk around outside without a secondary power source. So the end result of this push now, not masks and shots, but towards uh, turning all of the sources and resources we have to fuel over to the government, which of course is run by people who have sub-corporations and friends on these corporations that are manufacturing the batteries, the windmills, the solar panels, yep. most of which come from China, by the way. Yep. Those people serve to benefit. They get more money, more power. We get weaker, less money, less power. And in the end, once again, the dependency state grows, the independence and the freedom and the liberties perish and wither. That's why this is so important. That's why I keep using this example. But it's it's you can look at many examples and reach the same conclusion. And, and the other thing, too, at, at, when we went through that, that winter storm and you see Texas with these windmills that are frozen and you've got helicopters being fueled by fossil fuels, pouring fossil fuels on the windmills to loosen them, uh, and then when they're operating, they're killing all the birds. It, it's not it, it, it's not an efficient energy source by any stretch of the imagination. And electric cars, you got to get the electricity where you get it from. You get it from fossil fuels, uh, and then you just you know fill the well. Not not to mention all the mining that needs to be done of all the uh, rare, rare earth uh, elements for the batteries themselves. Strip the mining and all, all of that cobalt yeah. all in Africa, and it's all being done by cheap labor funded by the Chinese. Going back to the automobile, the automobile was the introduction of freedom here in the United States, economic freedom, all that stuff, because that was written about at the time yep. as to that, that allowed people to, to move about in a way that they never were able to before. And, and so it, that it's an interesting point that you're making, Mark, Cheap, that it's an attack on that. Cheaper fuel causes, causes the masses to be able to rise from their, their condition. Yep. Uh, but now fuel is just exorbitantly high. It, it's it's a tax on the poor. Uh, it, it's it's stifling, and it's creating dependency on the government. Again, you have outlined it yeah, perfectly. I think this thesis really applies to almost any situation. And what I try to do when I speak to people and when I travel is to give people simple, effective tools and solutions to what are very complex problems that often require a lot of time, research and energy and knowledge. And not a lot of people have the capacity or the interest or the will to invest in that. And I don't blame them. They have families to take care of. They have jobs they have to go to. Uh, we have a lot of day-to-day of -day issues that we need to work on. And to, to be battered day in and day out by this constantly shifting crisis mentality is a lot more than many Americans can handle. So I want to relieve them of that burden. I want to tell them, you don't need to get lost in the weeds of these international conflicts and, and policy debates. Just take it back to basics. Does yeah. it actually make sense for me as an independent American, assuming that you want to be independent, and not a lot of people do perhaps, but if you, if you want to be independent and you want to maintain your liberties, does what I'm being asked to do further that cause or stifle it? And that's all you really need to know. And then you need to make decisions for yourself, your family, and, and people that you vote for. Mark, uh, based on the national psyche, you said something insightful in regards to, you know, do they want liberty or do they just want to be taken care of? What's your read on the American people? Uh, if you had to guess, do you think most of them want to be taken care of? Or do you think they really do value liberty? They just don't want to maybe work for it? Or where, 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 is the, where do you see this? What, what is your read on, uh, on the population of this country? 
Well, as Dennis Prager is fond of saying, and I, I love to requote him because I think he's right on the money here, being free is not an instinct. It never was, it never will be. It is learned. Being taken care of is an instinct. And I'll angle that from the psychiatric psychological position because that's what I'm an expert in. Babies, when they're born, don't wish to be free. They wish to be taken care of. And they need that instinct because that's the instinct that allows them to survive. If babies had an instinct to be free, they would immediately run and crawl and disappear away from their mother as soon as they could, and then they'd end up dying of exposure because they can't actually take care of themselves. So it's a helpful and healthy instinct at the beginning of life to desire to be taken care of rather than the desiring to be free. But in the long run, it's actually not conducive to a full, fulfilled, potent life. It's stifling and it also invites, because it's sort of a vacuum of assertiveness and a vacuum of aggression, it invites in predation. It invites in sociopathy. It invites in. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Uh, you said devices. predation. You, you said predation and sociopathy. Come on. You got to define this. Cookies, bottom <laughs> shelf. Yeah. Predation. So, what that means is think about the seven deadly sins. Think about all of the, um, the, the negative qualities. Like the movie Seven that came out, you know, decades yeah. ago. Lust, gluttony, uh, gluttony. Yep. all of those things. When you have a vacuum of assertiveness, of strength, of courage, of virtue, those seven deadly sins or qualities, they tend to come in, they tend to fester. Just like strong gotcha. people prey on the weak, bullies prey on the weak. That's what I'm talking about. And it, it is a weakness to want to be taken care of as an adult. And I don't mean taken care of by your spouse, by your father, I mean by the state. Right. And when you express and exhibit that desire blatantly, when you, when you don't fight against the instinct to be taken care of, when you don't put in effort to learn the capacity and express that capacity to want to be free, to want to be independent, that's when you start to see the wolves circling. They come in and they take over. Now, they don't come in as wolves and sharks. They don't come in and rip you apart with their teeth. They come in with the following. It's a scary world out there. We've got all these crises. We've got viruses. We've got Ukraine. You know what we're going to do? Lions and tigers and bears. Yeah. We're going to calm you down. We're going to make you safe. Really? You can make me safe? How are you going to do that, sir? Well, it's very simple. Just sign everything over on the dotted line. Sign over your bodies, your hearts, your minds, your fuel sources, your automobiles, your guns, your churches, your educational autonomy and independence. Uh, we'll yeah. take care of everything for you. That's all you have to do. And then you're going to be fine. And then you go, ah, breathe a sigh of relief. Thank goodness they're here to take care of me. Now I can go back to my Netflix show and I can order my coffee on Uber Eats and I don't have to worry about it. That's the mindset of most Americans today and almost all Americans who are living in urban areas who do not have the experience of living and working on their own, in fields, on farms, in churches, homeschooling, protecting themselves with their own firearms, getting and gathering their own fuel sources, making their own food, and traveling in their own tractors. Those who don't have those experiences, meaning everybody that lives in cities, especially atheists, single mothers, the poor, those who are taking food stamps and other monies from the government, they are in that camp. And this is the people that I live and surround myself with in Los Angeles. And they are truly lost. And our urban centers are complete wastelands of independence. And they are unfortunately the ones that are driving the narrative in this country. And that's about 50 or 60% of the population. 
Wow. So, so let me throw something out at you because I think that um, this is a failure, a massive failure culturally of parents because it's our job. And Michelle and I decided when we were uh, about to have kids what our, our primary job was, and it's to equip them for life. Right. And over the last couple of um, you know decades, you've had a lot of those helicopter moms and those yep. people that are that are you know being those. Um, Zambonis going before the kids, making sure the ice is smooth, you know, and then, and then they're incapable of taking care of themselves. And so that's, that's also, I think why so many folks are are crying out to the government to care for them, or at least receptive to it. Does that make sense? I completely agree with you, Bryce. I spoke with a woman recently who had another term. She didn't call it helicopter. I think she called it um, like tractor mom or, or steam train mom, kind of like the Zamboni. They're not circling overhead. They're clearing the path. They're clearing the path of all potential obstacles because they're scared that their child is going to be discomforted in some way, is going to be emotionally or physically at a loss. God forbid he should fall and skin his knee. We're going to make sure that he doesn't do that. We're going to put pads all across the ground so that if he hits the floor, he'll just bounce right back up. He won't even notice it. So projection is a transfer. But it's a psychological transfer. Instead of handing a baton over, you're handing a feeling over. You're inducing a feeling into another person. When I first spoke in May of 2020, that was my first public speech. It was at the Orange County School Board of Education meeting to argue for keeping the schools open. We got to keep the schools open. We got to we got to stop this shutdown. I said the following at the end of the meeting. I said, "Why are we here? What are we arguing about? What are we discussing?" And there was silence in the room. Like, what do you mean? We're, we're here about schools. I said, no, that's not why we're here. We're here because we, the adults, have failed our children. How have we failed them? We have failed them because we have been unable to control and manage our own fear and anxiety. So we are transferring that. We are handing it over. We are projecting it into our children. We are saying it is unsafe for our children to go to school because we feel unsafe. And so by comforting our fears and our anxieties through shutting down the schools, we are going to indirectly harm, abuse, and damage our children. That is why we're here. And we need to own up to it. We need to take accountability. We need to become the true guardians of our children, which is the only role that a parent has, is to protect your child. Not to protect your feelings, to protect your child. And don't you lie to yourself and think that you're protecting your child by vomiting out your fears and anxieties onto your child. That is not protection. That is a cop-out. That is a weakness. That is a failure. And you better get your act together. That was two years ago. Or, or even projecting your failed dreams upon them as so yeah. they're supposed to achieve something you weren't capable of doing. That's another one. Uh, Mark, um, for, for our Christian audience, uh, me being a pastor, Bryce being one of the elders in our church, uh, can you can you at least share with our audience what's the significance in your estimation because our our world's connected through this this season where we've watched the the the, the dwindling of our liberties and I was moved to see you standing in the gap in defense of freedom and our world's intersected as a result you you know me as a minister uh, you know Bryce as an elder, and we work together on this program, ministering to our Christian audience as well as many across the country. Can you share for the folks listening, uh, folks watching, what 
what is the significance of what we do from your estimation as, as a psychologist, as, as one who sees this roadmap? What, what role do we play and why is the church significant? Because most pastors would say, oh, this is psychobabble. Uh, we really need not be involved in any of this. Um, we're just preaching the gospel, which means the death, burial, resurrection of Christ. You need to get saved. Raise your hand. God bless you. That's critical to Christendom. But the Lord said, make disciples of all nations, and nations are boundaries, borders, constitutions, ideologies. Why is this pertinent, not just to the nation, but to the church? Can you speak to that? The church is absolutely critical right now. And I don't mean critical because it's critical for religious and spiritual purposes. It is critical for political purposes. Many people may not understand that. Bring it. In the last two years, the only two largely organized groups in the United States that have fought against the introduction and expansion of tyranny and the attack on our liberties have been the Orthodox Jews and the Evangelical Christians. That's it. And, 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 and that's just a small percentage of both organizations. Yes. Not all Orthodox Jews have yeah. done it and not all Evangelicals have done it. Correct, sadly. But, but you have found in a small portion of both of those religious uh, denominations— you have found that that's been instrumental? Is that is that what I'm yes. hearing you say? Elaborate, because yes. I, w- I want my, my brothers in the evangelical world to hear this, my brothers and sisters. I, I want the rabbis to hear this. I, I know that Rabbi Barkley is one of them. I know that Dennis Prager, um, you know, they, there's a handful of them. Uh, but share with us again, elaborate, so they can see they, they have a necessary role in this, and it's critical because we're called to love our neighbors, and this is something we'll protect our neighbors. This is critical. It is, and I think it's naive and foolish to think otherwise. Why have the Orthodox Jews and the Evangelical Christians been under attack from day one? We've said this. You've said this. I mean, it's it's not even uh, an opinion. Uh, it, it was obvious and in our face from day one. Alcohol, tobacco, sex, anything that sold those three items was kept open from the very beginning and all the way through till now during this so-called crisis pandemic of uh, virus, even though I say it's a pandemic of fear. What was shut down? Churches and synagogues, funerals, weddings, anything celebratory of death or life or faith, absolutely shut down. Yep. And gymnasiums, just like the Gulag Archipelago, it, it they shut down churches and gymnasiums. They they don't want the individual being healthy. Yeah, they, they yeah. Correct. Uh, yeah. Anything that serves health of the body, the mind, or the spirit was was destroyed. We just interviewed on our podcast recently um, a pastor from Canada who has been in prison and was in prison for fifty five, sixty days. Is that Arthur Pulaski? Yeah, it was Arthur Pulaski. Yes, yeah, I love that great. man. Amazing man, great conviction, great spirit, great energy, and also a really good sense of humor. He's a funny guy, yeah, which is even is. more impressive given the torture and abuse, sadistic abuse and torture he suffered at the hands of multiple guards and, and politicians in the last couple months. The reason why the church, the synagogue is under attack is because they are a threat. Why would they yep. be a threat? I mean, we're just peaceful ministers and rabbis, so we're not a threat to anyone. Absolutely, you're a threat. You're a threat because you've been fighting. You've been speaking out against tyranny and for freedom and liberty. Now, you have, not everyone has. The ones that haven't have been left largely unmolested. But those who have spoken out about freedom and have spoken against government intrusion, the attacks on liberties, they have been coerced, threatened, extorted, uh, attacked politically, legally, physically with their freedoms, their liberties, the, the pocketbook. 
They've been threatened. This is why it's so important for them to continue to speak out, why all of them should be speaking out, all of the priests, rabbis, and ministers should be speaking out. And the reason for that, outside of the churches, even if you're an atheist or you're not even part of this community, it's so important to support people who are doing this, who are in the faith community, because politics is no longer just about finances, budgets, uh, who's going to be... making decisions for things like recess patrols and uh, spending on building and finances in schools. Politics has now gotten into our very uh, small little nicks and crevices of our day-to-day life that affect us at a fundamental level, such as teaching um, transgender ideology and uh, sex in five and six-year-old children in schools. Is that really a political issue? There's something a lot more to it than politics. That's a moral issue. That's a fundamental values issue. That's right. What about your ability to move freely, as I was saying, in your community? Is is it really political to be deciding about whether people can get in a vehicle or not? That's not political. That's a fundamental liberty as well. What about decisions regarding what medications or injections go into the bodies of your children? Is that really a political issue? Is that a public health issue? That's a fundamental locus parentis issue. Where is the the source of parental right and parental um, control and for decision-making over your child's body? That's not political leisure. These are really basic issues. And if the church and the synagogues don't address these as such, instead of just talking about spiritual guidance and life, death, resurrection, but these issues, they are going to be squashed and swallowed up And the whole country is going to be taken over by these quasi-political issues, which are fundamental, really fundamental issues. And then we're all going to be silenced. So I want to say very clearly to those in the church, those in the synagogues, if you do not acknowledge and accept that politics is religion, politics is morality, politics is survival, which is what you should be talking about in the pulpit, then you have failed your duties and your job as a presenter and leader of faith. I always say if God didn't intend for us to be participants in politics, he would have never invented marriage. <laughs> I mean, it really is. How do, how do we live together? And as Aristotle said, politics is the highest form of community because it combines morality with sociability. How then shall we now live? And that, that was Francis Schaeffer. And so for, for pastors to say, I don't do politics, politics is dirty, I always say, so's the church. What's your point? Or they say something along the lines of, I'm tired of voting for the lesser of two evils. And I say, unless Jesus Christ is running for office, you're always voting for the lesser of two evils. You you must contend for the welfare of your community and stand in the gap from the moral law comes civil law. And, And if we do not stand for these basic principles, these inalienable rights given to us by God, then we're, we're, we're complicit. Yes, you are. And many, unfortunately have become complicit as uh, the great uh, Nobel laureate in in economics, uh, Milton Friedman said when confronted by Phil Donahue 30 years ago, uh, saying, why should we have a capitalist system? Why can't we just have a uh, Politburo comitariat of uh, those who are smarter than us make decisions on our behalf and we can all just shut up and obey? He laughed and he turned to Phil Donahue and he said, so where exactly are we gonna find these angels? Where are they? Human beings still staff 
those elite agencies and they're still flawed and they still have the same foibles and sins and weaknesses as you and I and the neighbor and our, our son and father, all those people. So maybe we should stop looking to outsource our morality to a uh, select group of star chamber individuals. Maybe we should get back to the basics of using our communities to make decisions for what's yeah. right and wrong rather than somebody Lo- in Washington. Local is best. And and if you want to change the swamp, which is Washington, D.C. and Sacramento, which geographically are and figuratively the same, if you want to change the way the water ends up at, at the swamp at, at its ending point, you got to change the source and the source is local. And and that that's where you know in our scriptures it says pray for kings and those in authority that we would live quiet and peaceable lives in all godliness and reverence. It's a pastoral epistle from Paul to Timothy, and and the and the question I have for pastors is, based on that pastoral epistle, can you name the five school board members and the five city council members that you pray for by name, and the issues that they're dealing with that it would allow your community to live quiet and peaceable lives in all godliness and reverence? And you can hear a pin drop. Because you don't engage at that level. You, you, we, we've somehow removed the church from the ecclesia, the public square, the assembly, uh, and, and, and we've, we've removed ourselves from contending for the welfare of our neighbors. Even, even though we're to love our neighbors as ourselves. It, it is so uh, dastardly what they've done to, to infuse in the church somehow no responsibility for the, for the community itself by removing itself politically and and feeling justified in doing that. It it was a a big switcheroo in the last 55 years, and it was brilliant by the secular progressive left. Uh, And and now we see the consequences of it. What's the roadmap back? Because we always always try to conclude our our program with hope because we know that God is a God of hope. So show us a roadmap from your vantage point, some of the things practically we can do as a citizenry. Now, it, it can be hard. It, it can be a, a, a heavy lift, but tell us. And then, Bryce, I'm sorry. I know you have no, questions. No, okay. Do it afterwards. I, yeah, but I'll get. Take us in that direction, would you, Mark? So what I wrote about in my book, United States of Fear, that came out in November, was really a, a description, an explanation of the antecedents to this crisis of fear. How did it start? Where did we come from? How did we get here? Did it just start in March or did it start a year ago, 10, 20, 30 years ago? I described that path because if you don't understand how you got here, you're not gonna be able to do anything about it. You need to accurately diagnose what's called the etiology of your disease in order to develop a treatment plan. So I wrote about that. And at the very end of the book, I made a very brief introduction to what I called the way forward. And I said in that brief introduction, at the very end of the book, that what we first have to start with is ourselves. And we have to surround ourselves with like-minded people so that we can be strong and that we can use the, the multiple strengths of individuals, put them all together and start to exert some real force and some real leverage, which is really what the left has been doing for a long time. And we're just not very good yeah. at it. Um, That's right. After I published that book, I began working on my second book, which should be coming out in the next one to two months, which is not a part two. It's actually a a much bigger extension of book one. It's tentatively going to be titled Freedom from Fear, a 12-step guide to an individual and national recovery, modeled after AA, the 12-step program of Alcoholics Anonymous, and Jordan B. Peterson's 12 Rules for Life. So it's going to be didactic, but also somewhat expansive, somewhat psychological and, and philosophical. And I lay it out in this book, which will be published shortly, 
what we should do starting from an individual and then moving outward, not just surrounding ourselves with like-minded people, but taking actual concrete steps to attack the fear addiction. I call it a fear addiction, just like a drug addiction. Many yeah. Americans are addicted to fear. And unless we can overcome the fear, we will not be able to regain our faculties of reason and critique. And if we can't reason and critique, then we're done. We have yep. no capacity to do anything that is protective or fruitful if we are living in fear. So I outline how we get through that. And the first thing we have to do is we have to be honest with ourselves and we have to acknowledge that we are addicted to fear. Now, not you and I, but those who are need to acknowledge it. I am addicted to alcohol and I wanna stop. Well, you gotta admit that you're addicted to fear and you wanna stop. You have to be living in truth and reality first before you can move forward. And this can be something that if you're not afraid, perhaps your brother, your father, your friend could use some truth. And then once you've done that, now you're actually able to start taking the real steps forward to start regaining your faculties of reason and critique. One of them that I put in the book, which I think is very important, is drop the dealer. Well, who's the dealer of fear? It is the media. Yeah, turn it, it off. It is the mainstream legacy media. Turn it off, go dry, and then start to reclaim information sources slowly but surely once you have vetted them. How do you vet them? Ask yourself the following question. Again, I like to focus on simple but efficacious. Ask yourself, who in the last two years has been repeatedly lying to you and proven to have lied? And who in the last two years has been honest and truthful and perhaps corrected errors, because everybody makes mistakes quickly, and has shown themselves to be truthful over a period of 24 to 26 months? Is it Anthony Fauci? Nope. <laughs> Definitely not. Or is it perhaps Peter McCullough or Ryan Cole or Simone Gold? People that you think, oh, they're crazy. They're these these nut job conspiracy theorists. All right, fine, call them that. But were they right or were they wrong? That's the yep. only question you have to ask. And then once you've done that, now you can start to look at where the future truth is more likely to come from. What is the providence of truth? And what has it been in the last two years? It's probably gonna be the same in the future. And then once you get better information, then you can start making better decisions. It's very, very simple. And then you move forward from there. You do things like becoming a leader. Wait, 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 repeat that. People. Wait, wait, repeat that. Becoming a, you said be, leader. It, 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 becoming a leader. Yeah, like become a leader. One of the things that I have learned over the num a number of years in my life is that when I'm anxious or I'm afraid, the best thing that I can do is to start to volunteer to help other people. That's one of the biggest antidotes to fear because people will look Amen. up to you. People will want to follow you and you will feel a a calling after having made the decision, the commitment to volunteer and lead, to try to fight that fear because you wanna set a good example for others who are still living in fear. Think about it as a parent. Do you wanna show fear and cowardice to your children? Even if you feel fear, no. You wanna show strength and courage and you can admit that you're afraid, but you're gonna act in spite of it. These are very important cognitive decisions, intellectual decisions that lead to action that will yeah. allow you to overcome your fear. And if we all did this, not looking for Washington to fix our problems or a new Donald Trump 2.0 to come and save us, but looking to ourselves, our families, our communities, our churches, ground up, not top down, then we can slowly build ourselves up as individuals, as families, as communities, and we can start taking back, for example, the school boards, 
the local city board of supervisors, the city councils. We can put mothers who have children in the schools on the school board. So the left-wing goons that are taking over the school boards, the childless left that has absolutely no investment in your community, they need to be replaced and tossed by mothers with children in the schools, not political professionals, but mothers with children. And then those mothers with children will graduate. They'll grow up politically and then they'll move on to city council, then county board of supervisors, then state senate, then governor, then federal senate, federal legislature, vice president, president. We can't start from the top. We can't clean out the top. We have to clean out the bottom and then work our way up. That's how we take back our country. Uh, I, I, I'm going I'm to segue to you, but I, I, I want to share this. Uh, so I was in an event last night. And for the first time, I, I publicly expressed that I'm running for city council. I hadn't done that yet. I came home and I told Michelle that I did that. And she said, why didn't you ask me first? And I, I said, <laughs> I, she said, you vacillated. And I said, I know, uh, because there's times I'm going, I think I'm going to do it. No, I'm not going to do it. I think I'm going to do it. And I said, honey, I woke up this morning and I wrote out a list of all the reasons why I, I wasn't going to do it. And then I wrote out a reason, uh, a list of the reasons why I need to do it. And and I noticed that in the column where every everything that I, I why I wouldn't do it was all based on fear. My schedule's too busy. Um, I, I don't really want to endure all the the negative press, uh, the, the meetings. You know, I just went through the whole thing, and every single one of the things in that list were selfish. And then over on the right side was family, kids, uh, grandkids, future of the community, a commitment to honoring that, standing for liberty. And, you know, we're all busy, Mark, and, and Bryce too. I mean, we are just, I, I'm busier in a one-arm wallpaper hanger. And, and to take are on- always busy. You know, I, I, amen. Yeah. Uh, but but I've, I, I've never been this busy in all my neither. life. But I, but I determined early on this year that I was going to leave it all on the field. Yeah, I, I'm know? leaving it all on the field. I, I wish God had made me busy in my 30s, but I'm, yeah. I'm approaching 58 come August. Parts are falling off. I've never been this busy. I wish I'd done it when I was earlier. But it's like, Lord, you know, then then I'll I'll slide into home and all the wheels can come off and the engine can fall out. I'm going to give it everything I've got. And and if the people don't want to elect that uh, by consent, I understand that. But I'm gonna I'm gonna serve this community if they'd have me. And and what you said, Mark, all of those things, especially in the twelve step roadmap back, will require us to do even more. And and we can't be afraid of that. And and any reason if if the why and what you're doing or not doing is selfish, then then that's not the answer. But if it's selfless, you're going to find joy in that and fulfillment. I, I, I love the way you outlined that. And then, Bryce, you had some questions. You, let's conclude with a couple of your questions because I know yeah. he's a busy man. Yeah, so so real quick, uh, you touched upon the uh, parent-child relationship. And, you know, they are working hard to interrupt that. And yesterday I had a conversation with a, a, a an acquaintance. I mean, he's a friend of ours, but, um, you know, comes from more of the, the liberal side of the spectrum. And... He's recounting that now that they've given up the mask mandates in schools, at, you know, his uh, ch child's school, his son is still insisting on wearing the mask. I and had a teacher saying 60% of the students in, yeah, the, in their school two, are still wearing Two thirds yeah. is what he said. Two thirds of the class are still wearing the mask. And I'm thinking about that damage that they've done, but really at its core, they no longer trust their parents because their parents are saying, no, you can take it off now. It's safe. So what, what are your comments or thoughts on that? 
this, what you just point out, Bryce, is the culmination of what I have been screaming from the rafters about for the last 18 months, about two or three months into this whole pandemic of fear, which is the following. It's not about the mandates. It's not about the laws. It's not about the government ordering through force of law, through policing, through threats and extortion. I mean, that's important stuff, but it's not the end game. The end of it is for us to become so imprinted with the unconscious fealty to government mandates, dictates, and restrictions that they can back off, step away, and we'll do it ourselves. And our children will yep. do it ourselves. And in the Programs. mix of that, as you rightly pointed out, what has been damaged, what has been handicapped, perhaps irreparably harmed, and that is the parent-child bond, which is the first bond that any evil dictatorship goes after. Because if you can separate a child from his mother and his father, then you can take over a generation. Then you can have children informing on their parents. You can have children joining leagues, which will go after their teachers and, and get prizes for seeing them arrested and sent off to gulags and concentration camps and torture yep. chambers and the execution squads. And I'm not exaggerating or making this up. This is the story of the 20th century in every yep. single dictatorship from China to the Soviet Union to Cuba to Venezuela. It does not waver, North Korea, you name it. That is the goal of a dictatorship. And that is exactly what is happening now under the surface. It's, I mean, it's above the surface, but it's under the radar. Children and parent bonds are being cut. They're being cut through the masks, as you mentioned. Children are still going to school with the masks on, even though they don't have to. It's being cut with the sexual uh, uh, indoctrination of the children without parental consent, yeah. renaming, regendering children without the parents being able to a answer the questions about whether uh, this is actually reasonable or even healthy, putting shots in children's arms. And now even more recently, legislature laws being put up in the California state legislature to allow for schools to give without parental consent at all injections to children of these so-called vaccines and even give them chemical hormone blockers, hormone blockers and surgeries yeah. because of gender dysphoria. So it's moving, 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 it's marching. That's why when people say, eh, it's just a mask, who cares? It is not just a mask. It is a symbol of compliance, control, and even worse, as you pointed out, Bryce, it's a symbol of the severing of the bond of influence and locus of control of the parent over the child. Uh, we would implore all parents uh, and, and anyone who has influence over uh, uh, children, uh, tell them to take the mask off. Be a exactly. parent yeah. and, and, and start leading your family. Give them courage. They can step on that schoolyard not wearing a mask. Give them a backbone. Stand with them. Walk on the campus with them as, if necessary and, and let them see that you stand behind them and point yep. out the other kids going, why are you still wearing that silly thing? Ha go for it and, and be bold about it because your children need you. And they do not need, need to be complicit and compliant and submissive to the government. They're, they're, they're severing that bond, as, as, as Dr. The, Mark pointed the same, out. The same people who yeah. were shamed into wearing masks, yep. right? Because yep. a lot of that went on, can be shamed out of it now. That's right. And, I, and I've, been, I, I've been waging a one-man battle yep. myself to try to... Meme them until they cry, yeah. and then meme them crying. You know, shame them. And, and Romans 11, uh, uh, provoke them to jealousy. I mean, just 
it, it's it's so clear what needs to happen. Yeah. Uh, did you have another question? Yeah, yeah. So, and I know we need to wind this up to get you uh, on your way, but uh, but very last thing, and this reminds me what we were just talking about of the you know rat hope experiment, right? Mm-hmm. Where they uh, they they put them in the water. Put in the water. This was after the USS Indianapolis. Yeah, yeah. Uh, let let them drown, and then uh, they did a second group of rats where they put them in the water, rescued them right before they were being drowned. Let them dry off, gave them food, warmed them back up, put them back in, and then they swam for something like sixty hours. Yeah, exponentially longer than right. they would have before. And and I feel like that's what you know the the game we're playing. And and I think our community, which you know you gave us great hope there about our community coming together, as we see them doing these things. Now is the moment that we didn't we didn't do in in uh, March of twenty twenty, and loudly enough say no. We're not going to play this game. That's what we need to be doing now as a community. Yeah. Philadelphia, the latest city and the only one in a large urban environment in the United States to have reinstituted mandatory indoor mask mandates about two or three days ago. That's an example of a place where people need to say, I'm not listening to this anymore. My answer is no. I am not going to comply anymore. I'm not going to listen to your stupid arguments about case numbers rising, about whatever new phantasm you've pulled out of your spreadsheet and invented in order to get me to basically jump back in the water like the, like the rat. I'm not doing it. I'm done. If all of us said that at the same time, I'm done, we wouldn't have to then move towards what I fear may end up being the inevitable, which is a violent revolution in this country, a violent civil war. And I don't want to see that. I don't want to see blood in the streets. I don't want to see Ukraine, Russia uh, in downtown Omaha. I don't want to see that. But that is is the only option that's going to become left for us if we don't peacefully but assertively and adamantly resist more incursions, more tossing of ourselves into the water like the rats by standing up and saying – no, I'm not doing it anymore. Come and arrest us all because we're not doing it. Amen. I, I, would, I would conclude by saying, for those of you who have a sphere of influence and you know who you are, if the why and what you're doing, if you're complying and the why is because of fear of man instead of fear of God, then you are monumentally cowardice. You must stand. You, you, the, the future of the generations to come, you are surrendering their freedom because of a, you know, it's, it's scripturally speaking, a bowl of red bean soup where Esau sells his birthright for just some warm pottage. You, 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 you have to realize what's at stake here. And, and there's no middle ground left anymore. Stand on behalf of generations to come. Quit being so selfish and compliant in your monumental cowardice and, and saying, well, I'm going to be canceled or, or my peers are, are going to judge me. So what? Get a backbone and stand. Quit yep. being a coward. Is that a fair enough assessment, Mark? It's completely fair. And that's why I wrote my book, book two, Freedom from Fear, is to encourage people is. to acknowledge the fear, to act in spite of the fear, and to say, I'm willing to take a risk. I'm willing to stand up and do something. I'm going to work on it. I'm going to keep working on this because I don't want to be stifled by it, but I don't have to be completely anesthetized to start to take action. I can still take action while I am afraid. I am not going to be driven by my fear. I'm going to take a risk because there is a higher purpose and a higher calling, God forbid, than just being safe. 
We are not here on this planet to lead a life of safety. And as you said, Pastor Rob, during our podcast interview, don't tell me to be, to be safe. safe. I want to be dangerous and wise. I don't want to be yeah. safe yeah. and yeah. stupid. Amen. That's right. That's Amen. That's, well, thanks for invoking that. That's uh, a great way to end things. <laughs> Dr. Mark McDonald, would you let everyone know how they can follow you? Because you are a storehouse of wisdom, and uh, folks need to tune into whatever you're doing. Uh, we're grateful they're watching what we're doing. But but when we come across just a, a, a gold mine, a vein of gold, uh, I want I want them to know how to mine that. So would you tell them how they can stay connected with you? Go, share sure. everything. There's two main resources, so you don't have to remember 16 different acronyms. The first one is my literary site, and the second one is my AV audiovisual site. My literary site, which is my own website, is called dissidentmd.com, like a Soviet yeah. dissident. Dissidentmd.com, because when you express a contrary opinion, you are de facto a dissident right now in the United States. And That's on that right. site, I have links to my Substack account where I publish a 600 to 900 word essay every week, starting with the one in December on sadism and the rise of that in the United States, and all the way through to the death of humor, which was last Thursday. Yeah. And I also have links to Facebook and Twitter on that site, as well as information about my book, which was my first publication in November, United States of Fear. So that's dissidentmd.com. And if you wanna to listen to stuff like this, podcasts that Dr. Jeff Barkey and I do with interviews like Artur Polowski, the pastor uh, who's been arrested and, and jailed and imprisoned and tortured in Canada, uh, or Laura Logan, the fierce correspondent at Fox News who was tossed after stating uh, live on air that Anthony Fauci is analogous to Joseph Mengele, and all the other wonderful interviews we've done, including yours, which just came out recently, you can go to informeddissentmedia.com, informeddissentmedia.com. And if you don't want to go to the website, just pull up your phone, go into Apple, and just type the name of the podcast in, which is Informed Dissent, and just click subscribe, and you can get a whole list of all of our podcasts, and you can watch and listen to all of the great guests we've had since we started about four or five months ago. We've hit, I think, 250,000 total downloads. So. Uh, a lot of people are listening to us, Jeff and I, all over the world. It's a great from show. From L.A. to Malta and everything in between. I love it. Well, awesome. I, I am a rich man to call you my friend, and you have blessed yeah. me more than you know. And um, just so grateful for you, Mark. So may God Thank bless you. you and keep you. And uh, I look forward to you being back with us soon. And in the meantime, uh, don't be safe. Be dangerous and wise, brother. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. Well, uh, our guest tonight with Dr. Mark McDonald, a treasure of a man, and uh, you set that up, and I'm grateful for that, Bryce. I, I've been busy this week, and you, his schedule is crazy, but yeah. you were able to get him on the program, and that's a win for us. Uh, no, he's amazing. That was a great show. He uh, is, and I, I want to get him back, and Jeff Barkey, too. The, the yeah. two of them are remarkable. I was on their podcast. I loved it, and they're so good at what they do, Yeah, but, but the content that they give you- Phenomenal. Yeah, facts dissipate fear, and and when you get truth, which is what they're putting forward, it, it strengthens you and gives you courage. Well, and they and they boil it down to such pithy wisdom. They do. That's it's, what I love, and 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 they're funny. Yeah. So. yeah, yeah. Well, great. folks, thanks for joining us on another broadcast of Liberty Station tonight. Dr. Mark McDonald, what a treasure of a man. And uh, we're going to have him back on, but boy, tonight was precious. So, thanks for joining us, and we'll see you tomorrow night. Good night, everybody. Good night.